Any information or advice discussed on this podcast is general and does not take into consideration your objectives, financial situation, or needs. It's recommended that you consult appropriate licensed professionals who can tailor specific advice for you. Welcome back. You're listening to Real Property, your go-to podcast for candid chats on the ins and outs of our nation's real estate. And today, we've got our eyes firmly set on the beast of an issue that is Australia's rental crisis. If you're feeling the pinch of skyrocketing rents or simply curious about the housing hustle, you're in good company. We're breaking down the tough bits and exploring every alley for solutions, all with a healthy dose of real talk. So grab your favorite cuppa, get comfy, And let's dive headfirst into the deep end of real property. There's been a seismic shift in the housing landscape and it's affecting Australians from all walks of life. Recent research from the Australian Housing and Urban Research Institute has revealed some startling trends that show just how deep the rabbit hole goes. Here's the headline grabber. High income Australians, those pulling down somewhere in the region of 140 grand a year are three times more likely to rent today than they were a generation ago. So rather than diving into the deep end of the homeowner pool, a growing number of people with thicker wallets are opting for the freedom, flexibility, or perhaps the necessity of renting. This influx of cashed up renters isn't just a curious trend. It's impacting the availability of affordable housing. Sydney is leading the charge with a whopping shortage of 72,000 homes considered affordable, but it's not alone. Melbourne is hot on its heels with 71,600 fewer homes than needed, while Brisbane, Adelaide and Perth are all feeling the squeeze too. Now imagine this, you're earning enough to live comfortably, your income is in the lowest 20% bracket, but you're forking out more than 30% of your hard-earned cash on rent. That's what affordable housing experts call unaffordable, and it's a reality for a staggering 82% of renters in this income group. The number of properties available for a price that doesn't break the bank, that's $266 per week or less, has plunged from being nearly 60% of the rental stock in 1996 to a mere 13% today. Margaret Reynolds, one of the AHURI study authors and a Swinburne University whiz, spells it out clearly. The choice to rent over buying isn't just about lifestyle anymore. It reflects a rental market that seriously failed to keep up with the needs of everyday Australians. It's a market failure, pure and simple. Now, here's a twist. The rent landscape that we're seeing today didn't happen overnight. It's the result of long-term trends amped up by recent events. Margaret Reynolds points out that the pandemic in 2021, when demand dipped, highlighted the existing fractures in the system, but make no mistake, the cracks were already there. She goes on to say that the situation for those lower income renters hasn't gotten any better since the last census. Rents began to shoot up in 2022, migration bounced back and suddenly we find ourselves in what many are calling a rent crisis. With vacancy rates at record lows and rents hitting the stratosphere, people who never imagined they'd struggle to find a place to live are now facing that grim reality. And it's not just about the numbers. It's about the human impact. It's families, students, the elderly, people who are finding themselves priced out of the neighborhoods they call home, often forced to make tough decisions between paying rent and other essentials. 
It's clear that the rental market is currently not equipped to deal with the demographic changes and economic stresses we're seeing play out. This has led us to a point where significant policy intervention is no longer a nice to have. It's an absolute necessity to prevent a deepening of the housing affordability crisis. So we're left with a pretty stark picture, a rental market that's morphed dramatically over the last 25 years, leaving in its wake a shortage of affordable homes, particularly in our major cities and a growing cohort of high income earners who are choosing to rent instead of buy. In today's deep dive on real property, we turn our attention to those hit hardest by Australia's rental crisis, our low-income earners. It's no secret that the cost of renting in this country has been on a steep climb, but did you know that a staggering 82% of renters earning the least are now spending more than 30% of their income on housing? What was once considered the extreme has unfortunately become the norm for those on the lower rungs of the income ladder. To put things into perspective, let's rewind the clocks a bit. Back in the day, say around 1996, the rental landscape looked a lot different. Nearly 60% of private rentals were considered lowest rent dwellings. These are the kind of bargains that would set you back only $266 a week or less in today's money. Fast forward to 2021 and that number has dramatically dwindled to just 13%. That's less than a quarter of what it used to be and it's squeezing low-income households out of affordable homes and into a vice grip of financial stress. Now, if we zone in on the figures from the census in that same year, 2021, we see that about 348,000 households, those making under 39 grand a year, were caught in the crunch of housing affordability stress. This wasn't just a blip on the radar. It marked a significant increase from the shortage of 21,000 homes we faced 15 years prior. So how did we get here? And what does this mean for the everyday Aussie struggling to keep a roof over their head? For starters, the These numbers don't just tell the story of inflated rent prices, they reveal a shift in who is occupying the rentals we have. Don't be fooled into thinking these affordable homes are waiting empty for the most needy. Nope. Many are occupied by tenants with larger wallets, causing an acute shortage in lower priced homes that's more severe than it appears on paper. Now, perhaps you're thinking, But hadn't the pandemic eased some of this pressure with people fleeing the cities and rents taking a dip? You'd be right. Temporarily, the pandemic did provide a momentary breather with some rents dropping and vacancies popping up. But how quickly the tides turn. As we emerged from the lockdowns and life started to get back into its old rhythm, rents didn't just bounce back. They skyrocketed. Here comes 2022 and it's been nothing short of a rent crisis. With the world opening up again, migration and internal mobility surged back to pre-COVID levels, placing even more pressure on an already overheated private rental market. For many low-income earners, this hasn't been a case of tightening the belt. It's been about the belt tightening around them, and they've been left gasping for affordable living options. Look, I know this all sounds pretty doom and gloom, but stick with me. Recognizing the problem is half the battle and the other half, taking informed collective steps to drive change. It begs the question, with affordable rentals disappearing faster than a cold drink on a hot Arvo, what's being done to keep our most vulnerable fellow Aussies housed without breaking the bank? One significant glimmer of hope is the Housing Australia Future Fund. The government has put down a 
$10 billion promise with the goal of generating ongoing funds for the construction of social housing. Now, while some critics argue that the plan to build an additional 30,000 social and affordable rental homes over five years isn't nearly enough to bridge the gap, it's an important starting point. As we navigate these rough waters of the rental market, the low-income earners of Australia face a daily struggle that's beyond challenging. Their plight isn't just a line item on a spreadsheet or a story segment on the news, it's real life happening behind every closed door and every for-rent sign in the window. Bear this in mind the next time you're budgeting for your weekly expenses, paying the rent, or just comfortable in your dwelling. There are hundreds of thousands out there desperate for a roof that doesn't come with the risk of financial ruin. It's a precarious balancing act, yes, but one we should all be vested in, ensuring a solution is found and quickly. Now, in today's episode, we're diving deeper into the government's playbook and scrutinizing their strides to mitigate the housing quandary we're mired in. Let's cast our gaze on the federal government's bold pledge, an audacious target to erect 1.2 million new abodes by the year 2029, a plan as grandiose as it sounds that's confronting some serious scrutiny. The government, to catalyze this construction crusade, has dangled a $3 billion carrot of bonus payments to coax states and territories towards their housing targets, but it doesn't end there. An additional $500 million is in the kitty, earmarked for those fundamental amenities and planning essential for new housing. However, here's the kicker. As ambitious as these numbers are, the Property Council has signalled a red flag, arguing that the incentives might just be a drop in the ocean. They're calling for a generous doubling of incentive handouts to the tune of $3.5 billion. Why? simply because the pool of cash designed for home building is rather paltry compared to the monumental shifts needed in housing supply. Will premiers from coast to coast turn their backs on such an opportunity or will they heed the call? While financial carrots are one aspect, Mike Zorbers, the Property Council's chief maestro, is vying for a significant overhaul come the May budget. The blueprint is clear boost housing supply levels by crafting an irresistible financial incentive no state can afford to sidestep. Diving into Zorbus's bag of solutions, we stumble upon a rather interesting proposition, a recalibration of our nation's migrant intake. Yes, the council is urging an escalation of construction smart migrants to set foot on Australian soil, a doubling of this demographic to be precise from a scanty 1.8% standing today. The logic is clear cut. If you aspire to build homes at breakneck speed, you need skilled hands ready to lay brick on brick. This means tapping into the global pool of construction workers, bringing them over to where the action's at so we don't just have building plans catching dust. Now, let's take a moment and talk tax. Not everyone's favorite topic. The current tax incentives, they kind of benefit property investors more than they help potential homeowners. Imagine restructuring tax policies to encourage the development and allocation of affordable rentals instead of just fattening investment portfolios. The AHURI report mentions reworking tax benefits and stamp duties. Could this encourage investors to focus more on affordable housing? And then there's the idea of a housing future fund, like that $10 billion pledged to lead to social housing development. Touted as a good first step, sure, but 30,000 homes across five years. When we're looking at hundreds of thousands in the lurch, it's like throwing a 
pebble into an ocean and expecting a splash. Don't you think renters could use some more protections as well? It's all connected after all. If renters had longer leases and capped rent increases, maybe the term rental crisis wouldn't be as dreaded. Stability can turn a house into a home even if you don't own the bricks. What about social and community housing sectors getting beefed up? Investing in non-profit housing providers could give them the muscle they need to be a bigger part of the solution. We're all about empowerment, right? And in this digital age, why not unleash the power of data, collecting and analyzing data on rental stocks, income brackets, and regional demand? Think of it as a navigation system that guides policy development precisely where it's needed. No more shooting in the dark, targeted solutions for targeted problems. And just like that, we're wrapping up another episode of Real Property. It's clear that finding meaningful solutions to this challenge isn't just crucial. It's urgent for the well-being of individuals and families across the nation. Please share this podcast with someone you think would enjoy it. And don't forget to follow and subscribe to get the latest episodes in your feed. I'll catch you next week.